Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. I'm Melissa Salrin. I'm here with Rachel Woody, and we're interviewing Doug Roskelly of Taro Estates on July 18, 2014. So first, Doug, why wine? Well, wine's always been a passion of mine, and it wasn't uh, really ever in my scheme to become a winemaker. But uh, I started experimenting with making wine in the garage, like many winemakers do. Uh, started turning out pretty good, and I thought maybe this would be a way to retire. And when were you first making wine in your garage? 2003. Okay, wonderful. And so, can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up being a winemaker here in the Walla Walla Valley? Well, when the decision was made to look for a spot to make a winery, put a winery together, make wine. I wanted to be where the grapes are and I've always loved wine from the Walla Walla Valley. So we came over to look for property and uh, this vineyard, Windrow Vineyard, was available and uh, it was fortuitous but we were able to put a deal together and, and make this purchase. So can you tell us a little bit more of the history of the Windrow, Windrow Vineyard? Well, Windrow Vineyard is half of the original Seven Hills Vineyard, which was planted in 1981. It was the first commercial vineyard actually planted in the Walla Walla Valley. So Dr. James McClellan and Dr. Herb Hendricks uh, decided to plant some vineyards along with their other orchard properties. And uh, Seven Hills was the result. In 1994, the uh, McClellan family decided to get out of the vineyard business. The Hendricks retained half and they sold the other half off. Uh, the Hendricks renamed their half Windrow and that's what we were able to purchase from Hendricks in 2007. Wonderful, wonderful. So I know you, you started out making wine in your garage. Um, so what kind, of, what kind of research did you do to learn about the industry? Oh, all kinds of studying and online courses, and I have a little bit of chemistry in my background, so that part of it wasn't really an issue. And, and my feeling uh, is that uh, a palate is more important than a lot of the other things. Uh, you can learn a lot of things, but if your palate's not right, um, you're going to struggle trying to make wine. Okay. So as a, as a newer entrant to uh, the industry in the Walla Walla Valley, what has been your relationship to some of the um, you know, founding members of the industry? Uh, winemakers in this valley are a, are a friendly lot and they've been a big help. There's never been any issues between us. Uh, we're definitely a newbie, uh, but uh, at the same time, um, they've all been very helpful. Anytime I need or want or desire something, they're uh, able to help me and find it or provide it. Wonderful. Can you say a little bit about the Wine Alliance and the, the role that it plays in the community here? Well, the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance is designed to promote Walla Walla Valley throughout the United States and the world. So that's their main purpose. 
and it's not to promote any individual winery, it's just to promote the Walla Walla Valley in general as a wine growing region. And they've done a really good job with that. Uh, they set up all kinds of uh, events that we can pour wine in different parts of the country uh, to promote Walla Walla wines. And anyone can participate if you're a member in the Alliance. And right now I think there's about 80, 80 or 85 member wineries in the valley. Now I know, um, as you indicated, that uh, you, you weren't on the scene when the AVA was approved in 1984, but you do have some of the history here um, on this land. And I know that you were thoughtful about that when you were building um, your buildings here. Can you say a little bit about that? Well, the current place that our winery exists right down the road here uh, was basically an equipment shed for the winery. And the Hendricks, uh, Becky and Scott Hendricks lived on the property. And Becky, along with uh, Darcy Small, were the two uh, who kind of organized and put together the application for the uh, uh, for the AVA in the first place and a number of meetings uh, of winemakers occurred out here even though Scott was not a, a winemaker he was significant in the wine growing part of uh, the wine grape growing part of things and so he played a big role as well as the other winemakers and put it together but it, a lot of the meetings took place out here so it was kind of interesting okay okay and was it Scott that you purchased yes no? okay Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the um, windrow where you, you have the wine that is made from the percentage of the field? In 2007, when we were approaching harvest and deciding exactly what wines we wanted to make, um, it struck me that the blend of fruit that was growing here might make a nice Bordeaux blend. And in Bordeaux, when you go to a chateau, they have one wine to sell you, generally. And it's, um, it's the wine that is made from the grapes that are in their vineyard. We'll do a short pause. <laughs> Working vineyard here. Yeah, and so I wanted to actually see uh, what it would be like if Windrow were to take that same approach. And if we were to make one wine based on the fruit that was growing in our vineyard, I wanted to know what that would taste like. So I didn't want to commit the entire vineyard to just one single bottle of wine, but I took a percentage of each block as it existed in the vineyard, and that's the percentage that I harvested and put into what we call Windrow which is really designed to showcase this vineyard. Uh, everybody talks about terroir, uh, terroir being sense of place, and I can't see or imagine a better way to do that than to harvest fruit in exact percentage that it comes off the field. And uh, once it's done, it's never manipulated by me. Uh, the wine is finished, so whatever Mother Nature brought to us that year, uh, that's what ends up in the bottle. Wonderful. Um, now, your your tasting room right now is downtown, right? We have a tasting room in the Marcus Whitman Hotel. Right. Okay. And you're you're um, you're you're building something new in Walla Walla as well at the, at the moment. 
Well, last year we acquired Waters Winery, okay. which is quite a bit bigger winery than we were. And in order to accommodate that, we needed a new facility and we wanted a winery on the Washington side of the border. So we are in the process of uh, moving into a new building on the Washington side of the border, which will house Waters and Flying Trout Wines, one of our other brands. And uh, that will be a new production facility and we will do wine tasting there as well. Okay, wonderful. So I know in 1995 there were 11 wineries in the Walla Walla Valley and by this year we have more than 100, around 120. I mean of course it depends on what you, how you define winery and we have 1,600 acres of grapes. Um, so I mean, what, what do you make of these kinds of changes? Well, there's room for everybody. I mean you come and if you can make good wine and create your own market then more power to you. I, uh, you look at places like Napa and how crowded that place is and we're nowhere near that uh, you know that level of being crowded so it's just uh, bring it on. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. If you can come here and uh, there's there's a real high bar set in this valley for making wine and if you can match that bar or do better that's great. Wonderful. Um, can you tell us, uh, this is kind of jumping back a bit, the name of Tarot Estates, where that name comes from? Well, naming things is really tough. Every time I would think of a name that I thought was really kind of a cool name to have that meant something else, I'd look it up and do some research and either somebody already had it or it really meant something different in a foreign language that I didn't want anywhere near the winery. Uh-huh. And one evening I was just dueling with, uh, with names and my last name is Ross Kelly, that's R-O. My partner's name, last name is Tembrel, that's the T-E. So tarot sort of goes with terra, terroir, and it just seemed to fit. I'm, a, I'm an advocate of simple names, makes it easy for people to remember them. Mm -hmm. That's great. I know in recent years of the Viticulture and Knowledge Center at the Walla Walla Community um, College has, has been on the scene. And how do you think having that program here locally has impacted how things have developed? Well, I think it's brought a lot of attention to Walla Walla. It's brought a lot of outside people interested in becoming involved in the wine industry into Walla Walla. Uh, a lot of the students come out and intern at the wineries and the uh, vineyards and uh, and a lot of them stay and create wineries. So it's been a great impact. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I think I have finished my portion of questions, and so I'm going to turn it over to Rachel now. Thank you very much. All right, so now we're gonna move a bit broader. And my first question for you is, for the Walla Walla Valley ABA, what to you is its identity? What is this region known for? Uh, we are able to grow hot climate grapes uh, really, really well. Uh, Syrahs, Cabernets, uh, Merlots. Um, it seems like there's almost no end to what they're able to find that grows well here. It's a perfect growing climate. We have a wide diversity of climate in the valley. At this end, which is the south end of the valley, we have about nine inches of rainfall. 
at the other end of the valley, the north end, uh, up against the blues, they have 23 or 24 inches of rainfall. So there's really a wide diversity in climate here in the valley, so you can find a spot that will grow the kind of grapes that you want to try and grow here. With the exception, really, of uh, the cooler climate reds, we, uh, there's some experimentation going on with Pinot Noir um, and some of the white varieties, but right now uh, it's mostly big, hot climate reds that do well here. Mm -hmm. One thing we've heard throughout this week during the interviews is even though this valley is, it doesn't really topographically change when you go to Oregon to Washington, a lot of the grapes are grown in Oregon. Could you say a few words as to why that might be? Well, I think uh, this valley is a little bit warmer on the Oregon side than it is on the Washington side. And it has to do with the way the weather comes into the valley and then stacks up against the Blue Mountains. And it has to do with the way cold air drains into the valley. The central part of the valley is on the Washington side. So as we come towards Oregon, it's rising up slightly. And that little bit of difference in temperature means that uh, that fruit grows a little bit better here. It really has a, it really grow, would grow well over there as, in the summertime, but in the wintertime there'd be too much damage to it to make a consistent harvest. And that's what we see over and over again is that the grapes that are grown over here uh, tend to thrive and the grapes that are over there are, you know, have a little tougher time in the winters. Mm -hmm. Another thing we've been learning is uh, the new rocks, the rocks AVA. Um, I know that doesn't take up all of Milton Free Water, but about how much space is that, and is it most of Oregon or not for the AVA? No, not most of Oregon at all. It's actually a fairly small uh, percentage of the acreage available. In fact, none of this area right around us is part of that AVA, that new proposed AVA. Um, it's a very specific part of the Walla Walla Valley that has to do with the alluvial fan of the Walla Walla River mm -hmm. uh, and where it deposited all those cobbles and they're near, near the surface. And uh, we sit here at Windrow, we sit on the top of a bench that kind of separates the drainage from Lower Dry Creek and the drainage from Walla Walla River. So we're right on this, you know, right on the spine of this bench. So we're up above the rocks. We do have some rocks area that's from Lower Dry Creek, but it's not part of that new ABA. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. What would you say is are the strengths and challenges of having a cross-state ABA? Uh, it's rules and regulations. Being in Oregon, we have to be careful about what we do in Washington. And if we move wine from one state to another, sometimes we can't move it back. Mm -hmm. So if we were to warehouse wine, say, in Washington, uh, there are rules and regulations about where we can then send that wine to, since that's not uh, our origin. Mm -hmm. uh, and the opposite is true. When we make wine in Washington, if we move it to Oregon, it can't go back into Washington for any purpose. So it's mostly regulatory uh, issues, and which is, which is our problem that wineries have uh, around the country with shipping to individual states. Every one of them has their different set of rules and trying to figure out what those rules are when they don't even know most of the time is challenging. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you have to not only be an expert in winemaking and vineyard management, but the business regulation side too. Yeah, that's what keeps uh, that's what keeps those other businesses in business, like lawyers and accountants and mm -hmm. compliance people. Mm 
What is your role here? Where does your passion lie? Well, my passion lies in making making wine. And uh, I spend about 60% of my time in the vineyard. I have a certificate in viticulture from WSU. Um, because I feel that the fruit you start with is the most important part, the most important ingredient of the wine, and uh, it will completely determine where that wine ends up when it's in a bottle. So if you can't start with a really good ingredient, you're, you got a tough, tougher sled. So working in the vineyard is very important to me and, uh, and trying to produce those grapes that I really want to turn into wine and put in a bottle. Mm -hmm. Since you've started here, what has been some of your lessons learned? Oh, you learn new lessons every day because the climate is never the same. Mm -hmm. uh, every time it looks like we're ahead on growing, we two weeks later we're behind in growing. Um, like right now, we've had a spate of 100 plus degree days and that's not really good for growing grapes. They tend to shut down, so we have to try to keep them cool and keep them watered. Um, and it's not normal for us to have long periods of 100 plus degree days, so we're having to really figure out how to best take care of the vines and just get them through this period. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's, it's a daily challenge, especially in the vineyard. In the winery, uh, once you've got the wines in there, you're under much more controlled conditions, so you can, uh, you can kind of predict what's going on a little bit better. Mm -hmm. If you were to give advice to a new winemaker in the area, what would it be? Uh, try a different profession. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not, that's not true. I, I would encourage anybody who wants to be a winemaker to, to really follow that, follow that passion. But you've got, to, uh, you've got to try different wines, and then you've got to try to make wines that you know and love. If you try to make wines that you don't know and love, you're just going to be making some juice that uh, hopefully somebody else will like because you really won't know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent if it's not something that you really you know have a passion for. Mm -hmm. So follow the passion and then uh, and start out slow and just keep working. In your experience with the Walla Walla Valley and in looking at some of the other ABAs in both Washington and Oregon. What are some of the similarities or differences? Well, all these different AVAs are different because they have different climates. And that's what makes the fruit different from each of these. And the real experiment is to try different wines that are made from the same grapes out of different AVAs and then learn to taste the difference that the AVA brings to the table. A winemaker can manipulate a wine a certain amount, but for the majority of the taste of the wine, it's going to come from the vineyard, and the vineyard is specific to an AVA, and that's how you that's how you really get to know AVAs and get to really focus on one that you might like and one that you might not like. I mean, our palates are also different. That you'd be you'd be chasing it forever if you're trying to find something that's that somebody else likes you just have to find things that you like mm -hmm. and that's why it's neat to have all these different uh, different growing regions could you talk a little bit about your philosophy for winemaking 
Well, I, uh, I like to be, uh, this is an overused term, but I like to use uh, non-interventionist kind of techniques. I believe that I do the job in the vineyard. I believe I do the job during fermentation. Once that wine is pressed and goes to barrel, then I would like to leave that as quiet as possible and let it do its own thing. As it will, it evolves on its own in the barrel, whether I'm manipulating it or playing with it or not. And all I want to do is top it, keep it at the right temperature, and keep it quiet until it then tells me it's done in the barrel. And the only way it does that is by tasting it. And if you taste it on a regular basis, you can see its evolution. Mm -hmm. And when you've determined that that evolution is complete, that's time to put it in a bottle. But I don't believe in following a calendar in terms of so many days here or so many days there. I want the wine to tell me when it's ready. As a winemaker, do you happen to have a favorite or one that's a varietal that's really surprised you in that regard? Well, I think that uh, Cabernet has been one of my biggest favorite wines for a long time, and that's, you know, that's pretty normal, that Cabernet is, uh, Cab is king, and it's king for a reason. But, um, but Merlots from this region are really, really striking, because they can be really big, earthy, uh, instead of kind of thin and watery, that you see a lot of Merlots from other areas. So Merlot is really a, a pleasing wine coming out of here. And the Syrahs in this valley uh, are really varied. Some of them are uh, very delicate, and some of them are uh, uh, very complex. And um, if they're done in more of a true Rhone style, then they're not overly alcoholed or uh, or get too much of a fruit bomb going in them. So they, they can be very uh, complex wines. How do you think the Caps, Merlots, and Syrahs of this area compare or relate to international? Well, I think Syrah-wise, I think we grow some of the best Syrahs in the world here. Mm -hmm. Cabernet in Walla Walla is different from Cabernet in Napa Valley. And so side-by-side -side comparison really becomes uh, what does the consumer want? And as long as we can find uh, consumers that like our flavor of cabs, then we're in good shape. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of them that do. Plus our price point is quite a bit lower. Right. Where do you think Walla Walla is headed? If you were to sort of project out into the future, how do you see the industry here evolving? Well, one of the wineries here in town just won best of the world. So I think Walla Walla is moving right on up the map. I think Walla Walla as a valley is actually gaining notoriety worldwide is actually gaining notoriety across this country. And while it's definitely not a Napa Valley, it is, it is more than just Washington wine, it's Walla Walla wine. And it's beginning to show. It's starting to, starting to get there and it deserves to be there. And do you think you'll be here for a long, long time? I plan on not moving out of that house uh, until they kick me out. Well, Doug, I think the only other question we have for you is what questions didn't we ask that we probably should have, or any other parting thoughts? 
Well, the parting thought might be more of uh, this area right here is growing uh, most rapidly in terms of vineyards uh, in the entire Walla Walla Valley. And it's really pleasing for me to see that because it means that these guys that planted this valley, this vineyard originally were right in choosing this spot. Um, and that was back in 1981. And they just, they hit it. They hit the nail on the head and it's proving itself over and over again. And while other vineyards in this valley do really well, this just seems to be an area where more and more vineyards are being concentrated and they're doing it because this is a great place. Mm -hmm. um, the wine industry, uh, like we talked earlier, is very friendly. Uh, we all work together. And it's one of the things that this industry has that a lot of industries don't. And that's that competitors actually work together to make the industry as a whole better instead of just fighting against each other. Why do you think that is, that, that community sense? I think because there is no actual formula for making a good wine. There's a lot of art to it and anytime art is involved, uh, anytime art's involved, everything's wide open. I mean, one little brush stroke makes a difference between this painting and this painting. Mm -hmm. uh, one little day extra of this or, or day less of this changes the wine tremendously. So those are the factors that can't be, uh, can't be copied. So we're not afraid to share what we know with somebody else because they know they can't take anything away from us. Mm -hmm. But at, at the same time, we're all elevating the stature of Walla Walla. And by doing so, it helps all of us. Mm -hmm. Well put. Is there anything else before we wrap up? I'm good. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.